Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. This? All right. Well, here we are. Good morning, everybody. Um, Let me pull up my minutes, or my notes, I guess. Um, You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 12, and while you're turning there... um, I want to welcome everybody this morning. Hold on, my tablet's doing some weird things. All right. Um, <clears throat> so if you're new to Victory or if you, you haven't watched any of our previous videos, uh, what we typically do is we will walk through uh, a book of the Bible and trying to get all the different context in it and all the, diff- the, all the details. Um, we're doing something a little bit different right now. We're going through a series of books. Uh, they're called the Post-Exilic Books, um, and they all come together uh, and they tell one story. Um, the, so this is our series. It's the return from exile, and what the uh, the Jews learned when they came back from exile uh, is that they they learned that whatever they did, they had to depend on God for whatever they were doing, everything that they were doing. And in this series, we're going to look at uh, Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah, Esther, Nehemiah, and Malachi. Um, so if you're trying to catch up or you haven't caught a whole bunch of that so far, um, you, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast so that you can uh, catch all those details or anything that you might have missed. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and keep moving forward. Um, so this morning, uh, we're going to be in Zechariah chapters 12 through 14. Um, and the main idea in this text is that the kingdom of God is inevitable. The title is On That Day, and On That Day is when uh, in Scripture we read about that day. And that day is talking about uh, when Jesus returns or the kingdom of God. Um, and what we see in these three chapters is that the kingdom of God is inevitable. Um, and that kind of breaks down in each chapter, kind of has its own little um, sub-main idea. So chapter 12 would be, uh, there's a war leading to repentance. Uh, chapter 13 is that we are already in that day, but not yet. Um, and then chapter 14 is we see there's a king over the whole earth. Um, now, this morning, I'm not going to read all three of these chapters. <clears throat> I already made videos of me reading them. Uh, hopefully, you've already watched that or read these chapters. If not, you can go back afterwards and, uh, and listen to them. Um, hopefully, you've already seen them. Um, this is important. I think it is important for you to um, see these chapters or, or read them along with the message because uh, it is important. The Word of God is important. Uh, God speaks clearly through His Word. Um, preaching is important, but anytime that I'm preaching... <clears throat> this message is subject to to my mistakes, um, but when you're reading the Word of God, it is God's Word uh, protected for you. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, and get started here. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12. See, verse 1 starts with the words, a pronouncement. Uh, this indicates to us that Zechariah is about to bring a new message from God. Now, if you remember, chapter 9 started with those same words, the same phrase, a pronouncement. Zechariah wants to be clear that this pronouncement is uh, different from the last one. It's a distinction, a distinct message from that last one. Now, after verse 1, Zechariah goes into this high view of God, uh, and he recalls the creation account. Zechariah is reminding the Jews that this message that he's about to give them comes from God. And he reminds them of God's authority to bring that message. Uh, He's saying that this message is coming from the person who created the heavens, the person who created the earth, and oh yeah, he created you too. So this message carries a lot of weight because it's from the creator. Then getting into verse 2 is where we get into the kind of the meat of the message. Um, And um, 
God's message here, starting in verse 2, going through the rest of the entire message, is that, uh, or through the rest of chapter 12, is that this is a, a vision of a future war. A recurring phrase throughout these three chapters is, on that day. Um, this phrase has occurred several times throughout the book of Zechariah, but it has a very high concentration in these three chapters. Uh, this phrase um, doesn't refer to what we would consider to be a typical day, like a 24-hour period from midnight to midnight. Um, instead, it's referring to a period of time. Throughout Scripture, we hear about the day of the Lord, and that's referring to this time period. The day of the Lord is referring to this time period, um, and that's referring to the end times. So a core doctrine of Christianity is that Jesus is going to return and reign forever as king uh, in this world. Um, and his disciples will live forever in worshiping him. But uh, what is talked about less often is that transition from this day to that day. Um, it's not going to be an easy transition or a smooth tra uh, transition. And as I said earlier, this chapter is about a war, a future war that's going to lead into that day. Uh, these three chapters give us some insight as to what that's going to look like. So uh, chapter 12, verses 2 to 4, describes a group of people who surround Jerusalem to make war against it. But God strengthens the city of Jerusalem and Judah, the area around it, um, and he, he strengthens them so that they can defend against these attacks. <clears throat> God even says that he will inflict the horses so that the, the attack will be foiled. In verses 5 through 7, um, that describes the leaders of Judah getting, uh, being encouraged by these victories um, and that, they will, uh, that the, the city of Jerusalem will remain inhabited. And then verses 8 and 9 show that God will cause even the weak among the Jews to be strong in battle so that they will defeat their enemies. But we need to take a second and focus on verse 10. Verse 10 says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one who mourns uh, for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. So this spirit of grace and prayer has a different tone than the preceding verses, and it serves as a shift in the chapter. See, verses 1 through 9 carry this tone of victory and strength, but verses 10 to 14 have a, mo uh, a tone of mourning and uh, repentance. And verse 10 gives us that transition and the reason for that change in tone. See, the people turn back to God in prayer and recognize their sin. Zechariah visualizes this in words. He says, they will look at me whom they pierced. Now, in the Old Testament view, this would have been the Jews' recognition of their turning away from God and turning towards idols and the pain that that caused God. However, this is also a very clear prophecy of Jesus. Jesus was pierced by the nails and hung on the cross for all to look at. See, the Gospel of John takes this imagery and makes it clear for us to see. Uh, in John 19, starting in verse 31, he says, since it, was, uh, since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has, has testified, so that you may also believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. 
Also, another scripture says, and this is the point where John quotes Zechariah specifically. He says, they will look at the one they pierced. See, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. He was pierced for our sins to pay the penalty for our death. He bled and died because of our rejection of God. God loved us so much that he sacrificed his son. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for our sins so that if we believe in him, he takes our punishment and declares us righteous. In doing so, our relationship with God is reconciled. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He was resurrected on the third day, showing victory over death. He ascended to heaven and will one day return to defeat his enemies in this battle that we're reading about in these chapters. Now that takes us to Zechariah chapter 13. Chapter 13 picks up and continues this prophecy of Jesus. This fountain that was opened up is Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice is what God uses to wash away our impurity. But how does Jesus' sacrifice, or how is Jesus' sacrifice on that day? If that phrase is used to uh, distinguish the end times. See, Jesus was crucified and resurrected over 2,000 years ago, and we have still not yet reached the end times. So how is it that day if that's Jesus' sacrifice? Um, see, there are some aspects, that, or this is what we, when we get into this idea of already but not yet. See, there are some aspects of the kingdom of God that are already in place. However, the kingdom is not yet in full effect or power as, ha- as is seen in the book of Revelation. But sin, since sin has already been defeated on the cross, the devil has already lost the war. He's just trying to take down as many people as possible before he is sent to hell for eternity. Believers are living in the power of God with his spirit living in them. So that's what verses 4 and 5 are referring to with the Holy Spirit and believers being able to kind of sniff out the false prophets uh, and the false teachers and they won't fall for their lies. We get to live in relationship with God like we were created to be. Yes, uh, this is currently limited to a spiritual reality, but eventually it will become a a full physical and spiritual reality. Um, But that's where the not yet comes in. We will live in perfect relationship with God, spiritually and physically, when that day fully arrives. Um, His enemies will be permanently and completely defeated and thrown into the lake of fire when that day fully arrives. Jesus will physically reign in a new Jerusalem and will be the perfect king over all of the world, all of creation, when that day fully arrives. So that is, that day is already here in the hearts of believers, but not yet here physically. See, verse 7, again, shows up in the Gospels. In Mark 14, this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion, and Jesus tells them, All of you will fall away, because it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Again, we see that this passage is a clear prophecy of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Now that takes us all the way through chapter 13 and into chapter 14. Now chapter 14, it starts with some pretty gruesome and incredibly fearsome images. The city of Jerusalem falls in battle, and the Mount of Olives is split in half from east to west, creating a northern half and a southern half. This battle battle corresponds with prophecies in Joel chapter 2, Jeremiah 30, and Daniel 12. But what we see in all four of these prophecies is the, the defeated city of Jerusalem is not simply left in defeat. It's not left there um, beaten and and battled and and broken. Uh, Verse 3 here says, Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. 
See, God will not leave his people defeated and ashamed. This section shows God's power to defeat his enemies and his loving providence for the faithful. The, the split of the Mount of Olives, when the, mount is, the mountain is split in half, creating a northern half and a southern half, it actually creates a valley of safe passage for the Jews to return to the city of Jerusalem. Life will flow out of Jerusalem because the source of life, the Lord, the King over all the earth, resides there. Zechariah tells us that that day will be terrifyingly dark and long. But at the end of that day, there will be relief. There is light at evening pointing to a future hope. Then after the battle, all the nations will come to worship this king, and Jerusalem itself will become like the temple. Those nations who refuse to worship the undisputed king will be defeated in battle and plague. The enemies of God's people will be totally defeated, and his people will live in safety and security and peace. And so that takes us, that's a, a quick review over those three chapters and a quick explanation of those three chapters. So when we get there, what, what are we supposed to take out of that? What application do we get from that? Um, now, I always get our application from the, from the text from our definition of a disciple. Our definition of a disciple comes from Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And that's broken down into three parts, knowing, being, and doing. And the knowing comes where Jesus says to follow me. The being is where Jesus says, I will make. And the doing is where the disciple is fishing for people. So what are we supposed to know from this passage? How is this supposed to affect our knowledge? The know is, that, is to know that God's kingdom will come. When we look at the end times, we know that evil will be sent away to dwell eternally in hell. Those people who refuse to believe in God will live, or those, sorry, those people who refuse to believe in God will be sent there as well. But those people who place their faith in God will live in this perfect kingdom. God has the power to defeat his enemies and, and the love to save the faithful. Now, this rhyme reminds me of a story about A.J. Dillon. Now, some of you probably know that a couple weekends ago, uh, the NFL had their uh, yearly draft. And the draft is where the, the NFL teams look at last year's college players and they, they select their rookies. Um, Green Bay Packers, my favorite team, selected a running back named A.J. Dillon. Now, and he's from Boston College. Uh, he's a big boy. He's six foot, 247 pounds, and he's solid as a rock. Now, there's a story from his Boston College recruiters about when they were trying to get him to come to, to, to Boston when they were recruiting him in high school. See, Boston College brought Dylan and his brought A.J. Dillon and his family to Boston for a tour. And you can't tour Boston without going to Fenway Park. And so during the tour, um, Austin, uh, A.J. Dillon's um, younger sister, she was five years old, she's a preschooler, she fell asleep during this tour. So he picked her up and he carried her around for the rest of the tour. So he picked her up and carried her for 45 minutes as they walked around this ballpark. It takes a lot of muscle to carry around a sleeping five-year-old, but it takes a lot more than just muscle to do that. It takes a, a tender love to carry this child in such a way that she would be comfortable enough to stay asleep. See, God's love is the same way. He has the strength to defeat his enemies, but the love to protect his people. His kingdom will come because of his strength and because of his love. And the second application point is to be saved. God's enemies will be thrown into eternal damnation. That's what we all deserve. We all deserve to be thrown into eternal damnation. When we sin before salvation, we are God's enemies. Now, a lot of people say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? Well, that's not how it works. We're already heading to hell. The loving God steps in and provides a way for salvation. 
God reaches down and in his love, he sent his son to die for our sins. When we place our faith in him, he takes that punishment for us and gives us his righteousness. So the second application point is to be saved. And the third application point, the do, is to live as members of God's kingdom. Live as members of God's kingdom. If we are a believer, we don't have to wait for that day to live as a member of God's kingdom. That day is already here for us. We are free to recover and pursue God's design in our lives. So allow your life to reflect God's character to those people around you by surrendering yourself to Him. Allow your life to be a beacon for this kingdom for other people to see and to come to know Him. Allow them to know God through your words and your actions. So know that God's kingdom will come, be saved, and and live as members of His kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the power that is in your word. But God, we also thank you for the promise of that day in the future. We thank you that you will be coming to to, uh, place your perfect kingdom here, to reign here in your perfect kingdom. But God, we also thank you that we don't have to wait for that day to live as members of your kingdom. God, I pray that if there's anybody listening to this message that has not accepted your son for their salvation, that they will do so, that you will prick their heart, that they will become tender to that message, God, that they will realize their sin and turn to you as their only source of hope. And God, I pray that you will help us, uh, uh, help us believers to live as members of your kingdom here and now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, that is the end of our message. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.